Hello and welcome to the Travel Diaries podcast. I'm Holly Rubenstein. I'm a travel and entertainment journalist. And here each week, I'll be speaking to a very special guest about the seven chapters in their life's travel diaries. From their earliest childhood travel memory and the first place they fell in love with to their hidden gem and what's at the top of their travel bucket list. We'll be uncovering their adventures around the world and the travel experiences and destinations that have shaped their lives. Today, I'm joined by the UK's leading hotel critic, Fiona Duncan. Fiona has been writing about and reviewing hotels for 35 years. She began her career writing travel guides before launching her own book series with her husband, The Charming Small Hotels Guide, back in the 1980s. In the late 90s, she was asked to write about hotels for the Telegraph newspaper, which she continues to this day with a weekly hotel column in the Sunday Telegraph. They call her the Hotel Guru. Country and Townhouse magazine call her the Hotel Wizard, for which she's also been the travel editor and is the editor of their Great British Hotels Guide. I spoke to Fiona last week in London. It was so lovely to reconnect with her. Fiona's been a real mentor to me as a travel writer, which has been life-changing, to be honest, and I've learned so much from her, so this episode means a lot. And it also means a lot to finally have a female guest on this season. To be totally honest with you, it was my mission to have a completely gender-balanced season this time. And just the way things have worked out, uh, annoyingly with people's availability changing and covid That just hasn't been possible with booking guests. But next week, we also have a fantastic female guest joining us. And next season is very much a female-dominated season. So I'm really looking forward to sharing all those guests with you as well. This is an episode for hotel lovers. Fiona has visited well over 600 of them just for her column alone. And if you're looking for recommendations here in the UK and in Europe, she has great tips to share and ones that, crucially, won't break the bank too. So let's get started. Fiona Duncan, welcome to The Travel Diaries. It is such a pleasure to see you today. It's been such a long time since I've seen you last. So welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you for asking me. And it's lovely to see you again too, Holly. What a year it's been since we last met up. We were working together on the Country and Townhouse Great British Hotels Guide. Yes. And goodness we've got a lot of hotels and things that we'll enjoy bringing to life today uh we were just talking about how the life of a a travel writer of a hotel critic has been somewhat uh, curtailed recently uh but you have some plans hopefully coming up imminently I, i do have some plans um my my life was pretty much completely stopped when the hotels in britain closed down uh, because I couldn't even do my 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 monthly column for the Telegraph, um, yeah. and that started again, thank God, in May, uh, which is wonderful. But I haven't really been able to travel abroad yet uh, for for work, uh, and I am dying to go. I've got uh, all sorts of plans. I've got the uh, Orient Express to Venice wow. up my sleeve. Have you um, taken that before? Have you been? I have before? taken it before, and actually, the pieces they've opened some new suites. I've seen photos yes. of them. Oh my goodness! And, and they uh, look incredible. Don't they, they look incredible. So the idea is to reprise what I f- believe is the most romantic journey I've ever taken. Really, I love Venice so much. Yeah, and I went with my husband when we were just married, and <sighs> it was just so romantic. And my parents went on their honeymoon. Did they? Mm. Did they? Yeah. So uh, I'm I'm going back, and I'm going to see, um, you know, whether the romance is still there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, how wonderful. Um, I did manage to get to Positano uh, last September, oh. and the wonderful Hotel Sirenews. It was absolute heaven, especially having been grounded for so long. Yes. It was like a dream. But uh, since then, nothing. My Siri garden. News um, was picked, I think, by Fred Siriex as well oh, was as it? his uh, all-time favourite. De- Actually, it's... his really popular Poppy Delavine mentioned it as well. That is like a, a, a one that everyone should have on their travel bucket list, I, I think, think so. hotel bucket I list. I think so. And for me, what's wonderful about it is that it's got this marvellous history, a very romantic history, I may say, mm-hmm. um, to do with the family who uh, started it after the war and who still run it now. And I'm very interested in hotels which are 
I love Italian hotels because they pass from generation to generation in a way that um, very sadly does not happen in this country anymore. Mm. And there is a continuity there. Um, and a and story. This, yes, and the Syrian News manages to to combine this Italian continuity and depth with very sexy, they've got wonderful sexy bars and beautiful art. They know how to keep the the, the traveller relevant, you know, keep it relevant for the mm. modern traveller. Mm. It's a marvellous hotel. Oh, mm. Makes my heart flutter just thinking about it. So we're going to go on a journey through the seven chapters of your yes. life's travel diaries. And we'll begin with chapter one, yep. which is your earliest childhood travel memory. Okay, well, my very earliest memory was actually on holiday. We used to go to Sea View in on the Isle of Wight mm -hmm. and my earliest memory is a, a smell memory which I think a lot of people for, for them it is um, and it's there was a sudden downpour on the beach and uh, we all rushed into the car with our Labrador and it's a smell of wet dog in the car <laughs> <laughs> that I remember um, but my but the travel memory that I think was seared into me and uh, and perhaps had an influence on what I did with with my career uh, was after a few years of going to England, you know, to Seaview or Devon with my parents, they decided we were going to go abroad for holidays. We're talking 60s here. And we went to Calarachada in Mallorca, mm -hmm. which then was a very quiet place. And we went to this hotel, which was run by a couple of expats, a husband and wife. And it was total 40 towers. Oh, really? Absolutely. They were a real pet, the right pair, and they were always having terrible rows and then having great fun. Um, and there was this one time that none of my family have forgotten when everybody was sitting in the dining room um, and suddenly the swing doors from the kitchen into the dining room burst open and out came, we called her Cassius Clegg, she was a huge woman, but anyway, out came Mrs Wheeler carrying her suitcases and saying, that's it, I'm leaving, I've had enough, I'm going. And then he came rushing out after her, tearing up the pass her passport and saying, you're not going anywhere without this. <laughs> and this was all played out in front of us. But then they used to kiss and make up and we went back. My parents chose to go back there three or four years running. Even with the drama? Even with the dramas. And it, I think, proves to me that what I love is hotels with character. Yeah. And this hotel, it had plenty of character. Um, <laughs> and it was fun. I mean, you know, there was stuff going on. Yeah. Um, and we really enjoyed it. Yeah. And they had a steel band that played every night, I remember. And it was just kind of quirky and different and exciting. Yeah. So that's my first holiday memory anyway. Uh, how funny. I mean... It seems as though then that's that love of um, the people behind yes. the hotels has then permeated into, you know, everything that you Abs stand for now, really. A absolutely, because I totally believe that it's the people. Sometimes I can't, I think, oh, God, do I have to write 750 words about this hotel? I just want to say great owners, great hotel, dodgy owners, dodgy hotel, don't go there. And if they have the right, you know, they, they've got taste and style or whatever um it's going to be a good place mm. and if they're not it's just not yeah you know I and like do you get an inkling if you're meeting yes. them for the first yes. time you can you can oh, yes yeah absolutely i do and your career involving travel actually yeah. started in a kind of roundabout way when you were out in the caribbean first of all working as a chef well what happened was i started i was working in london on magazines and I was 21 years old and uh, I got a, I'd had a friend from a couple of years before who'd gone to the Caribbean as a, a charter yacht skipper. Mm -hmm. And I'd said to him, oh, if ever you have a job, let me know, sort of as a joke. And one day a telegram arrived and it said, job available, Antigua, I've still got it, job available, Antigua, arrive immediately. I didn't know where Antigua was, I really didn't. I had never set foot on a sailing boat. I'd never set foot on anything but a cross-channel ferry in my life. Yeah. Um, I'd failed the Cordon Bleu. The th I was the only person to have failed the three-month Cordon Bleu course that I was sent on by my parents for licking my fingers or something during the exams. <laughs> anyway, anyway, I arrived in Antigua 
I went. I arrived in Antigua. He met me at the airport and he said, look, don't worry. Um, we've got six American millionaires starting a cruise tomorrow to Grenada. And we're going to go to the boat via the supermarket. And you're going to stock the boat for a three-week three cruise. <laughs> wow. I know. Thrown I mean, in talk the about end. a learning curve. Yeah. yeah. My first impression was of the... Everyone was so laid back. And it was so beautiful. Mm. And the sun always shone. Mm. It, was, it was paradise. And you enjoyed the trip th- that you made? Oh, I stayed for two and a half years. Two and a half years. <laughs> I don't know if yes. I realise that. Yes. Two and a half years. Oh, I wow. did. Another shitty day in paradise, we used to say. <laughs> <laughs> and from there, tell me how you got to becoming like the leading hotel critic <laughs> in the UK. What was the journey? So... The journey was that um, my husband, I got married quite soon after I came back from the Caribbean and I was working in a publishing company. My husband started, we, we met there, he started his own small publishing business and one day he said, um, I think we ought to publish a series of guides called the Charming Small Hotel Guides. We knew nothing about hotels or anything and I said, what a lousy, famously I said, what a lousy idea. Um, actually, these guides sustained us. They were our main source of income for two, three decades. And they're still wow. going, actually, but online now. Yeah. Um, and so he said, well, I'm doing this and you're going to ride them. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, I think somebody else wrote the first guide to Britain. And yeah. then my great friend Leo and I were sent off around Europe with absolutely no budget whatsoever tiny beaten up car literally going to find charming small hotels in Tuscany in the south of France in Spain and how did you go about doing that because this not meaning to kind of give away an age here but this was pre-google this was pre-google yes it was yeah how did we do it it's a very good question actually how, how did, did you find the it? places and how did you navigate it all and how did it, I know, how did well, it, it all was work? Job, yeah. Must have been I mean, so time-consuming. It was, it was. We we somehow found hotels that we thought looked lightly. Um, how, do you know, the awful thing is that Google has so dominated our lives that I really cannot remember <laughs> how I would... I, I suppose there were other guides, tourist boards perhaps. How did we find those hotels? I'm really not terribly sure, actually, Holly. <laughs> but anyway, we had lists. We had we had maps in the car, and we had these hotels mapped out. And um, we would get in touch with the hotels beforehand, and we would try and do whatever research we could. Were there websites even then? I don't think there were. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Because this is in the 80s. This is in the mid-80s. No, yeah. No websites. No. How did we do it? My goodness me. What, what uh, an achievement. Uh, brochures. That's what we did. I've remembered now. We used to write off to the hotels before the uh, the trip and have brochures sent to us and, and decide by the brochures whether we thought they were up to it or not. That's so interesting. And then um, th- th- we used to say to the hotels, because uh, c- we didn't have the money to pay to go to stay the nights, and we used to say... Um, We'll pay the bill if you don't go into our guide. Um, but if you go into our guide, you know, please, will you pay the bill? That's how it worked. All oh, right. Um, and we were very honest about that. We didn't want bad hotels in our guide. Yeah. And the guides became very popular and they got, they were translated into Spanish and French and Italian. So, um, but yeah, it was a lot of legwork. It yeah. was. Yeah. So chapter two is the first place that you fell in love with. Where would that be? I think that was probably Formentera Highland. Uh, very oddly, my parents were quite straight. My dad ran John Peter Jones, and so, which is my spiritual home. I can tell you still, I call it the mothership. <laughs> um, but uh, they decided to buy a house, a villa in Formentera, which then was a hippie island. Um, yeah. And there were no cars on it, uh, or very, very few. Um, and they bought this villa and we had five or six years of absolute bliss just to remember fun and sun and sand and lobster and chips in the restaurants Um, and the funny thing is that a couple of years ago I went to review a new hotel in 
Formentera, a lovely place called Gecko Beach. Mm-hmm. Um, and I took my sister with me, and we hadn't been back since either of us for 40 <sighs> years, 50 Trip down years, memory lane. And somehow we found this villa. I don't know how we found it. And we knocked, and it was just the same. There were no buildings around it, just as before. And uh, we knocked on the door, and a Dutch family were there, and we said that we'd used to live there many years ago. And they said, come in, and the extraordinary thing was that their parents had bought it from my parents, and the, the, the furniture, some of the furniture was still there. The kitchen was unchanged. There was a mural on the staircase oh. which somebody had painted in our day, and it was all still there, and it was really... Was it emotional? Very moving. Yeah. It was very moving. Yeah. yeah. For people who don't know Formentera, it's an island that's nearest to Ibiza, like yes. one of the Balearic Islands. Yes. Um, how would you ca- bring it to life? Formentera. Um, I, I, how would I bring it to life? It's um, a very pretty island. Uh, it's very small. It's very easygoing. Um, it's got wonderful beaches. Uh, it's low key. You cycle around it. It doesn't have an airport, does it? it? Does so that makes a difference, doesn't no, it? No, that's really the whole slower thing. pace. My, my with Greek islands as well. I always go to an island that doesn't have an airport because then you get away. Yeah. So the whole point of Formentera is you have to go to, you fly to Ibiza and then you get the ferry to Formentera. So you're in another world straight away, a quieter, calmer world. Mm. Not quite so quiet and calm in the height of summer, I believe, because the Italians have found it big time <laughs> with their little mot- m- mopeds. But yeah. um, uh, it's a charming place. What I was the hotel like? The, the Gecko, Gecko Beach, yeah. very good, yeah, very nice. Um, it was an old hostel that has been uh, given a new vibe, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, I liked it very much indeed. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it, it has a, it did have a permanent yoga teacher, that sort of thing. Right, it was right on the beach. I really recommend it. Yeah, okay. but it's worth it. It really is. Yeah, sounds yeah. amazing. If you don't want that crazy nightlife of Ibiza. of Ibiza, yeah. And it really was a hippie island. I mean, it was it was colonized by hippies in the nineteen sixties, and it's still got that kind of hippie vibe. Yeah, which is really nice. Yeah, and so you were working on these charming small hotel guides and. What made hotels charming to you then, and would they still be deemed charming now, do you think? That's a very interesting question. Um, what made them charming then was, as I said before, probably the the owner and the people running it were charming themselves. And then the other thing... So it obviously has to be a pretty place, a pretty hotel. It has to be comfortable. It has to be nice looking. But the location for me is massively important. Mm. The location of a hotel mm-hmm. is is almost the most important thing. And does that hotel, does that location, is it reflected by the hotel properly? So I loathe hotels that are like bubbles of luxury stuck in the middle of some place with no relevance to that place i like hotels that reflect where you are and the culture of where you are the the materials that are used to build it perhaps or like furnish it is local exactly exactly and i and and now lots of people of course want to go into very very modern hotels like the the hotels along the amalfi coast are huge favorites of mine because um they're all uh I think there's only one along the whole Amalfi Coast that is not family-owned. And there's lots of pensioni sort of places there. Um, But some of them have gone down the very modern route. Um, And I'm just not comfortable in those places. Mm. I'm really not. I I prefer them to be not old-fashioned, but... But characterful Characterful and reflective. Authentic feeling. Authentic is the word, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And um, there's been a huge change in British hotels since you first started reviewing them to now. Which do you think are leading the way? Well, it's very interesting. So when I first started writing about hotels, um, they were all, all the country house hotels 
in Britain were privately owned. But it all started after the war when people uh, took their country houses and turned them into hotels. It had never really happened before. Mm. And some were eccentric, some worked, some didn't work, but they were owner-managed and they had lots of character. And what I've witnessed is that they have, in time, found it very hard going or whatever. It's an exhausting job being a hotelier. And they've tended to sell to brands and groups and chains. And not for me, a lot of time, the heart and soul goes out of these places. When they're sold. When they're sold and when they become part of a group. Mm-hmm. or you know a brand and I can now count on the fingers of one hand the great country house hotels of this country which are still in private hands um, you know like Hambleton Hall mm-hmm. still owned by the same family for 40 years or whatever. Why is that? Hambleton Hall on Rutland on Rutland Water it's oh. absolutely wonderful mm-hmm. um, I think you can include Gravetime Manor in that but not many. There's a wonderful hotel I adore called Langer Hall, which not many people know about, but it's very special, same family, and that's in Nottinghamshire. Um, uh, these places stand out for me because they have character and soul. I'm not saying that the other places are bad. They're very luxurious, they're great, they're fantastic, but they just miss something for me. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons, I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos, visiting some places that have been on my bucket list. And while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun, my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers just like I do. Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. Moving on then to chapter three, that is the place where you learn the most about yourself. Yes, well, I think that does have to be the Caribbean, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I think, yes, <laughs> because that was the biggest learning curve of my life. Um, and I did learn that I could cope. And I did learn that I could, yeah, thrown in the deep end, I could manage and I could still have fun at the same time. I mean, it was just so different from the life I'd been leading before. 
Um, so, yeah, definitely there. The other place where I've learnt rather a lot about myself is actually my garden in lockdown. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I expect other people have said this to you. But I thought, if you'd asked me before whether I where I lived, I'd say... I live in London and I'm lucky enough to have a place in the New Forest. If you ask me now, I'll say I live in the New Forest and I'm lucky enough to have a place in London. Yeah. And I learned to garden. I I just used to look at the garden and cry. And now it's up and running and I've done so much in it. I learned about the birds in my garden. I learned so about nice. the forest. Yeah. And I learned that I didn't have to be busy, busy, busy all the time to be happy. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, true. Uh, yeah, did you, you find the same? Just getting up and yeah. not having a huge I lived in deadline. The, I lived in the countryside. Um, I lived, my husband and I moved in with my mum for nearly a year. Really? Yeah. In uh, Surrey, but in that kind of rural Surrey. During the lockdown. During the lockdown, right. yeah. And we moved house. We chose to move out of central London into kind of somewhere slightly more with a garden. And, yes. Uh, yeah got a puppy you know with that kind of lockdown cliche <laughs> you got a puppy oh. yeah yeah indeed i tried to find one changing. but couldn't afford it <laughs> oh my gosh the prices are insane we were very lucky that we actually were on um the breeders list prior to the massive demand in right. the, the, the lockdown massive puppy demand and so yeah. he honored his price that was oh, pre-covid nice. otherwise Good. It's like they're becoming like the cost of a car. Yeah, I mean, I it's know, insane. I know. But she has changed our lives. What is she? She's a Cavapoo. Oh, right. Lovely. Um, I'll show you a photo yeah. of her in okay, a second. Okay. Anyone who wants to see Indy, <laughs> who follows me on Instagram, will have seen endless photos of, of Indy. I, I can't help but puppy spam oh, all the time. No, I don't blame you. <laughs> <laughs> She's gorgeous. Um, so as a hotel critic... Um, isn't it funny or a, a journalist when you go and, and stay in hotels if they catch wind of the fact that you're writing about them obviously your experience might differ from um the you know normal tourist yes. the norm, normal traveler which in a way isn't especially fair is it because you do get a slightly distorted impression how, how do you well see let's it? be honest about this so when I first started I mean writing the column they had just stopped, the Telegraph had just stopped, because um, I think my predecessor, Paddy Burt, the paper picked up all her bills, but but um, they can't afford that now, and so um, I have to, you know, the, the hotel has to give hospitality, that is the situation. Yeah. And so uh, at first I thought, well, how can I write an honest review with it like this? But I soon got used to it because... And it's become a given in the industry. It's just become a given in the industry now. And as long as you are honest and you are not swayed by all the lovely things that are done for you and given to you, and you go in there, you know, with clear with clarity, uh, I think it's fine. Mm. Well, I'm often asked myself... Um, when you when I've traveled to different places which hotel or which destination that I would then choose to spend my money on to return to again yes um but where would I choose to go back to and you know if it's a luxurious place where the price per night is high you know yeah. wh where would I fork out for what would you what would you say what what when people ask you that where where would you go back to where would I go back to Mm. And, and pay for it yourself and pay for it myself <laughs> yes. and pay for it myself yes exactly oh there's a lot of hotels that I would go back to and pay for myself I mean just just randomly to take the last place that I reviewed which was called uh, the lamb at Shipton under Witchwood mm -hmm. which was a, which is a lovely pub with rooms uh, with really really good food run by a couple of charming chaps who really care about what they're doing I happily go back and and pay for that yeah i'd happily go and pay back and, and and pay for glebe house most of the hotels that i give a a good review to are ones that i would like to go back to yeah if i could yeah and do you do you return there are a few hotels that i just find myself returning to again and again yes yeah the goring hotel in london i can't get enough of it yeah. <laughs> howtown hotel on Arleswater, which is incredibly old-fashioned and has been run by the same lady for over 50 years. 
Um, it's called uh, what? Howtown. Howtown. Howtown Hotel. Yeah. And she's never had a computer. Oh, really? She does all her bookings by telephone and then she writes to you confirming. Oh. You ring the gong at night. Uh. But it is so lovely. It's so warm and unchanged and real. There are some that get under my skin. Yeah, well, I mean, we're, we're mm. on to chapter four, which is your all-time favourite destination. I mean, perhaps before we go on to yes. the destination, we should talk about your all-time favourite hotels as someone right. who's been writing about them for, for yes. so long. Um, yes. So we, we were just saying that really we can't, we can't just ask for one hotel in this episode. <laughs> it has to be kind of maybe a, a couple, yes. um, maybe one that's more a high luxury price point and then one that's more accessible yes well if i take ones abroad mm-hmm. first and i'll give you a couple in this country as yeah. well yeah that'd be um lovely. so there are two hotels actually on the amalfi coast um that i absolutely adore one is the Sirenews, the other is called the santa catarina uh-huh. which has the great advantage of being one of very very few hotels people don't know this but um there are very few hotels on the Amalfi Coast with direct access to the water. Because they're so high up. I, exactly, the and the, and mountains. it's rocky. Um, but at the Santa Catarina, you go down in a lift and they've got a little Lido, a little beach. Oh, lovely. Um, and you can get directly into the water. And it's a classic Italian hotel without the glitz of um, the Sirenews, but family-run for four generations, just twinkly these twinkly waiters that you get in Italy mm-hmm. um, who have who are proud of their jobs and have been doing their jobs for 40 years yeah and that makes all the difference you know it's it's an honor for them to be waiters unlike here where you can't at the moment anyway find a waiter for love or money mm. so those are uh, but then at a lower price point there is a hotel I'm, I'm very very fond of Venice um, and there's a hotel in Venice called uh, the Locanda Cipriani, which is nothing to do with the Cipriani Hotel, um, although a member of the family first started it. And it's on the island of Torcello, which uh-huh. is in the lagoon. Do you know it at all? No. No. Well, so the, the Venetian um, Empire started on Torcello, actually, and then spread out. And uh, on Torcello, you've just got this beautiful basilica a beautiful church and nine inhabitants and uh the locanda cipriani and the locanda cipriani was started in the sort of 1940s it's got a wonderful restaurant um with really good food and five incredibly simple bedrooms with white walls and antique furniture and um, Hemingway wrote one of his books there. Oh, so it's, the um, hist- and it's permeated with history. It's permeated with history. And lots of tourists go to Torcello during the day. But if you're staying at the Locanda Cipriani, um, you wake up in the morning and the island is yours. And then you climb the Campanile and you've got this wonderful view all around the Venetian lagoon. Mm. And uh, it's a very special place. For me, it's a very, very special place. Oh, that sounds and, incredible. Yeah. It is. It's lovely. And then how about your favourites in the UK? Right. Well, they do. I mean, I've got lots. I mean, uh, how I've many do you think Hamilton. you've visited? I mean, how like, many have I what visited? do you think? Oh, Hundreds. Yes. Hundreds. So for the column, I know I'm nearly up to 600 hotels. Six. But do you know, Holly, oh I was gosh. looking through the list the other day. Yeah. And the awful thing is, I've been writing that column since 2006, an awful lot of those hotels don't exist anymore oh yeah yeah i mean i was really a bit shocked but do you think they've be some of them have taken on a new incarnation they could have taken on a new incarnation fallen off the radar changed hands um or in many 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 cases the 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 people running it running them just became elderly and the hotel withered and they withered and Mm. that's the end of that um, and some are obviously restarted, but as I say, not always terribly successfully. Yeah. Um, so there's a huge, huge, huge amount of turnover and change. Absolutely huge. And there are just a few that remain absolutely unchanged. And those are the ones that, you know, I'm very partial to. And new ones that are in, that are obviously going to stand the test of time, I would 
mention, for example, lime wood, which is 10 years old, but that will stand the test of time. Yeah. Um, so that's in the new forest. That's in the new forest. And it's a superb example of a luxury country house hotel for today. Yeah. Um, because it's got depth and integrity, but it's also, you know, it's, it's glamorous yeah. as well. And you mentioned Glebe House yes. as well. And I've heard a lot about this yes. hotel. I've not been there myself yet. Yes. And you were there. So. I was there. Mm. Um, it's, it, it's a story that I used to see so often and don't see so often anymore of a, a couple who had careers in London and decided to give them up. And he retrained as a chef. She's an artist um, and they took over his parents' um, uh, family, his family home, which his parents latterly ran as a B&B. Mm-hmm. And um, they've decorated it in the most gorgeous way, full of art, full of colour, mm. very, very uh, different and unusual, very Bloomsbury, mm-hmm. lots of print and pattern, and it kind of works. But you walk in and you walk into the hall and there's a hatch into the kitchen and on the hatch are all the day's freshly baked bread loaves. And then if you want to walk into the kitchen, you can. And everything, everything is freshly made. They make their own charcuterie, their own pickles. Um, And it's just got this lovely, this combination of being earthy and real um, and of the earth and of the surrounding landscape. It's in a beautiful place. But also sexy mm-hmm. and, and it fun. doesn't break the bank and it doesn't break the bank which is it doesn't nice no i mean it's not nothing it's a couple of hundred quid a night or something but you, they couldn't charge less and what part of devon is it in what's the kind it's of surrounding in like? the east devon in a really roly-poly bit of devon um four miles inland from the sweet little fishing village of beer near lime regis right and the other wonderful thing about it again this comes back to location um, it just so happens that this house looks out on completely empty hills. There's not a, another house or an electricity pylon or anything in sight. Mm. So that there's that timeless difference. That, that, that timeless anywhere feel. you are to have that un- yes. uh, to have an unobstructed view is yes. just makes yeah. yeah makes it all the more special. Yeah. And how about your all-time favourite destination? That was so difficult, Holly. I know. That was just impossible. I know. Whatever, I find it impossible. <laughs> and in a way, like, I, as I often say, you know, it depends on kind of your headspace and your mood as to what might yes. come to mind. I mean, yeah. Exactly. Well, what I did was I lay down on my bed and I closed my eyes and I just said to myself, whatever comes into my mind first will be it. Yeah. And what came into my mind was Lake Nagin in Nepal, in Kashmir, oh, right. um, where we went uh, before we'd had children, but we went for about six weeks. Oh, I wow. know that was another lovely break. And uh, we lived on this houseboat um, and we were beautifully looked after by the local family that owned the houseboat. And then we went on an amazing trek up to the Kolohoi Glacier with chickens live chickens strapped to our mules four or five day trek um and then we came back down and then we went up to gulmarg which is a ski resort in kashmir (sighs) which is famous for its skiing but also for its crazy monkeys it's covered in crazy mischievous monkeys (sighs) and uh then we did the thing that the most frightening thing i've done a few scary things in my life like paragliding and the atlantic and things like that but Oh, my God, the bus ride back down from Gulmarg. The, the bus driver had had a row with a passenger and thrown the passenger off before we started. No. Oh, no. And uh, he then set off absolutely just breakneck speed down these hairpin bends all the way down the mountain. We're in the Himalayas here, stopping only for us all to get out of the bus and have a look over the ravine at the bus from a few days before that was at the bottom of the ravine. <laughs> So so it was a mixture of terror and absolute serenity on that, that wonderful holiday. And yeah. I do remember that as being very, very special. Oh, and it was amazing. just before I had children and my life rather changed. So chapter five is your hidden gem. With this little hidden gem, it just, it just came home to me. It, it embodies for me the truth that um, true luxury is simplicity. 
That's what I think. Yes. Um, and I was in Kalkan in Turkey. Yeah. At a lovely hotel called Villa Mahal with Robin and Judy Hudson and some other people. And they've been going to Villa Mahal and Kalkan for many, many years. And we were all there. And they said one day, they said, we want to take you to our favorite restaurant. And uh, maybe if I just read you what I wrote. Yeah, because, that'd be lovely. Because um, it's easier to do that. Um, so it was, it's got no name, this restaurant. And the locals who were in the know just called it the Fish Shack. So accessible only by boat, it was a wooden shack perched above the rocky shore. The word restaurant was crudely painted in red across a torn sheet that flapped in the breeze. Mm. Chickens pecked on the ground, the coffee was boiled on an open fire, and we all helped the elderly owner bringing out, bring out dishes of tomato salad, aubergine, cucumber and yoghurt, bunches of rocket and spring onion, chicken kebabs and grilled fish from the primitive kitchen. Sitting on comfy cushions at a low table, tucking in and revelling in the views and the glorious weather, we knew we were somewhere special. For anyone who believes that true luxury is simple and natural, the fish shack is surely the epitome. For Robin Hudson, it's also the source of inspiration. Where do you think I got the idea for the pigs, he told me. Mm. So that simplicity, yeah, um, it, it, it can be inspirational and yeah. inform. And I get more pleasure out of that than I've been, I've been in many wonderful hotels and had many amazing dinners and fanciness. Or fancy this and fancy that and spa yeah. treatments. But honestly, I was happiest there. I've, I was just in heaven at mm. that place. Sounds glorious. So, chapter six, your worst travel experience. Now, you're such a, a lovely person. I know that it must be so hard to, you don't like to kind of slag somewhere off, but you, you must have had some dodgy, dodgy travel experiences in your time. You must have done. I will tell you about um, a personal disaster, which was my honeymoon. It was a big surprise for me. Um, that, where we were going for the honeymoon. And we went, the whole thing was a surprise, we went straight from the wedding to the airport in our going away clothes. And this was in 1978. I had a pair of patent leather shoes on, high heels. And we flew straight to uh, Delhi. And then we got a different flight uh, to Kathmandu. And then we got a little plane up to the Chitwan National Park. However... In Delhi or Kathmandu, our luggage was completely lost uh, and never to be found again. And we literally had the clothes that on we your back. on our backs. <laughs> and at the Chitwan, we took this tiny little plane to Chitwan, where we mounted elephants and went for a trek, a four-hour trek through the forests uh, to the Tiger Tops, the original Tiger Tops um, camp, uh, and <laughs> the. The, the staff with, with you your know, patent leather shoes with my on patent le exactly <laughs> and this dreadful dress my mother had made me buy this awful oh god so for going away and it was terribly sort of formal um and andrew had his yeah oh dear god and uh, the staff were lined up outside the the lodge to greet the new guests and they later told us that they have a private sort of a private prize that they give for the stupidest guests coming their way. <laughs> they took one, look at us, and we got the prize. But then they lent us their shorts and T-shirts and things. Oh, how but, nice, because they couldn't be more remote. It was not like there yeah. was like a, like a, a mall nearby. No, yeah, exactly. Anyway. That sounds like an incredible honeymoon, though. It was. Very intrepid. It was, it was. For those days, it was intrepid, yeah. exactly. And, uh, and then we went to Kathmandu and, oh, we had an absolutely wonderful time. Is Nepal one of the places that you love the most? Yes, I yeah. loved Nepal. I haven't been back. India, I would go back to India in a heartbeat uh, and Nepal and that whole region. It's, yeah. Have you been? It's no, oh, I've never it's... been. I really want to go to Bhutan as well. Yes, I do too. Yeah. I do too, although I'm not sure about what I was saying earlier about these very, very luxurious hotels plopped into places where they don't necessarily fit. Mm. I believe they've been done very well, so, mm. uh, you know, I don't want to criticise something that I haven't even seen. But I wish I could think of a, of a disaster. Well, that is quite a funny story. <laughs> I love this image of you like going in this tiny plane with your uncomfortable shoes on. I mean, it must yes, high heels. Honestly, I killed my mother. It was all her fault. <laughs> <laughs> so finally, then, 
we are on to the last chapter of your travel diaries and that's chapter seven the destination at the top of your travel bucket list yes well so lockdown has made me think a little bit uh about traveling and yeah. about airplanes and all that and i as an a tiny nod to what's happening which is just awful in the world with climate change and so on i i i think i would like to really curtail long-haul trips mm-hmm. uh, i'm not saying stop them completely but definitely curtail them and i am so happy to stick to europe i know europe pretty well but there is just so it's just the most wonderful place i think europe so I diverse really so much to see so much to see so much to see yeah and so much that i still haven't seen so if you told me i could never leave europe again i would be sad about mexico which i terribly want to go to and i would be sad about not being able to go back to india which has got under my skin but i would be extremely happy just going to all the places in Europe that I still want to go to and haven't been to. And is there one so, in particular well, that you go enough, to first? Weirdly, at the top of my list just right now is, because uh, I know Italy very, very well, but uh, I have never been to Ravenna. And oh, I need to go yes. to Ravenna. Yeah. I just do need to go to Ravenna. You need to listen to... Um, Lonely Planet founder Tony Wheeler's yes, episode. Yes. He picks Ravenna Does as his he? hidden gem. Yes, Does he? yeah. And if I remember rightly, it has some beautiful historic churches and yes. ancient mosaics. Yes, and um, yeah, that was his hidden gem. Oh, how funny! Yeah, yeah. well, I, there we are. Well, uh, I've picked the right place. You have indeed. The countries I haven't been to. I haven't been to Georgia. I haven't been to Transylvania. I, I don't know Scandinavia very well either. I'd like to explore Scandinavia. Yeah, me too. And I'll go to any of the Greek islands that I haven't been to already. Thank you very much. And I just think that those islands are the hidden gem of the world because personally, they stop me needing to go to the other side of the world to lie on a beach. Yeah. Because get the a greek beach you know with a little taverna behind and yeah. how can you beat that but before we wrap up um i have only ever been to one greek island myself santorini like the most yes. famous what would you recommend as 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 your favorite um i did i went with a girlfriend a couple of years ago um and we went actually in late september early october absolutely beautiful weather perfect time to go uh, and we flew to Naxos and we just island hopped as if we were children, students, you yeah. know. And we went to uh, uh, Kufenisia, which is beaches. My God, you've never seen beaches like they are in An Kufenisia. An island I've never heard of it. Kufenisia, tiny. And it, this is the Could little... Could you stay there? Yes. Yeah. See, what, you, what happens is you get off the ferry and there's a line of people with placards saying, you know, room for rent hotel rooms whatever it, you you don't have to book anything you just go um and then we went to this island called amorgos Ooh. and it's got something special and we it's very mountainous and it's very spiritual it's got lots of monasteries on it including a, a famous one which is sort of carved into the side of the cliff uh but my friend geraldine and i walked up to a monastery we just we were staying in this little pension place and uh, there was a monastery way up the mountain up there so we decided to walk up to it and we didn't know what we were going to find when we got there and what we found when we got there was just absolutely amazing we found an, the most beautiful woman a nun she looked like Isabella Rossellini. She was young and unbelievably beautiful. I felt I was in a Hollywood movie. I really did. And uh, she asked us in and, and we had Turkish delight and cups of mint tea. And it was very, very, very special. And Amorgos has got, you know, beaches and pretty villages and everything. But uh, that I love. There are many, many, many other Greek islands that could equal Amorgos. But that's the one that... Uh, is uh, in in my heart at the moment fantastic well thank you so much fiona those were your travel diaries it's been an honor to speak to you thank you thank you very much indeed (laughs) 
Oh, that was a fantastic Fiona Duncan. I really hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. And thank you so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe on your podcast app so that you don't miss an episode. It's really easy to do that. On Apple, they've just changed it so that you follow rather than subscribe by pressing the plus sign in the top right hand corner of the app. I would also be so grateful if you could leave a rating or a review. It really helps other people to discover the podcast. To find out who's joining me next week, follow me on Instagram at Holly Rubenstein. I'd love to hear from you. And if you can't wait until then, there's all of seasons one, two, three and four to catch up on. Thanks again. Take care and I'll be back with you next week. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons, I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos, visiting some places that have been on my bucket list. And while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun, my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers just like I do? Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.